Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by a very special guest, Abhijit Patra. Abhijit is formerly a deep tech entrepreneur, uh, formerly a uh, full stack academic, uh, including a PhD in life sciences, formerly a venture capital fellow at Sousa Ventures, and is now leading the deep tech category at uh, Omdek. Abhijit, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Eric. It's such a pleasure to be here. Long time listener, first time speaker. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. So so Abhijit, uh, when you first start defining uh, by defining what is deep tech, how do you think about it? Um, great question to begin with. And I think depending upon who you ask, you will also hear the following frontier tech, hard tech, tough tech. Um, they all mean the same thing. And deep tech is probably the least stringent term here. In terms of what it is, I will start with the first and most important requirement here. Uh, the technology must have been backed by a lot of research, hard scientific or technical development work that led to this point at which we are talking. In a way, that gives us a good filter. If you think that a government agency, say DARPA or National Science Foundation, would give you a grant if you described your technology development plans to them, you're probably working on deep tech. And I would caveat this. This is a filter. This is not the only criteria. Uh, when you're working in deep tech, you are exchanging some of the eventual market risk for higher technical risk. Most often, there is a market for what you are building if you can build, scale, and properly price the product. Now, uh, not surprisingly, when things are much harder to build, it takes long. Uh, the design, build, tests, learn cycles for most of these technologies are very long. So put all of this together, you can start to identify a few technologies that are now known as deep tech. Uh, some of these things are nanotech, quantum computing, hardware platforms like drones, AR, VR, sensors of all kinds, autonomous vehicles, life sciences, advanced manufacturing, space tech, energy generation and storage, and really, really cutting edge machine learning like GBT3 and the more recent AlphaFold. That gives you a general picture of what is now known as deep tech. Yeah. And it, it seems that we're starting to hear a lot about deep tech companies all, all of a sudden. Uh, why is that? What's happening here? Yes, we are. And to be fair, that is only the beginning of a wave. It's been a long time coming. To explain what is happening, we have to step back a little and talk about what has really happened. Um, and to understand that, I think we have to preface the conversation about what, how, what happens to realize the full potential of a technology. The full potential of a technology is realized when it is democratized. No matter how advanced the technology is, if operating or using it takes a lot of training to do, and hence only a few people can properly leverage it, use it for what it can do, its impact will be kind of limited. A good parallel to draw here is uh, with what happened with the internet. When it was in the labs or limited to the research, governmental organizations, the impact was kind of limited. But when the infrastructure layer was truly democratized and the interfaces to use what we now know as the Internet became simpler and the first millions and then billions of people eventually came online, the era defining companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, they were all born during that wave. Now, this is what is happening with several other foundational technologies today. And I will take three specific examples here. 
One is sequencing DNA. Sequencing DNA is how we read uh, the genetic code of a life form to loosely figure out how things could be working. Biology is anyway messy, but this is the best guess that we have. The cost to sequence a genome, which is the sum total of genes in an organism, has gone from 100,000 to below 1,000 in the last 10 to 12 years. This is, of course, very significant, but what is more important is the ease of use. In 2009, you had to be a sequencing expert to gather this data, to make sense of it, test your hypothesis, and do something with it. In, in 2021, the machine abstracts away this previously required level of expertise. You no longer have to be an expert at DNA sequencing to be able to use it. You can instead focus on testing your hypothesis and building on stuff, uh, stuff on top of it. Um, similar advances are happening in precision manufacturing. Oftentimes in the past, our ability to create transformational technology was limited by our ability to manufacture things precisely and reliably. That is now changing thanks to software getting deeply embedded into our manufacturing processes. If you can design it, chances are uh, we can make it. Everything that we wonder at today around us in the digital universe is the result of a very simple thing, um, which is the ability to read, write, manipulate bits robustly, really fast and at scale. To some extent, this same ability is coming to the world of atoms. And then the last piece is simulations. Uh, in the past, the only way to test something was to actually make it. Um, now imagine you are designing something as complex as a rocket engine. You want to design an engine which will be big enough that it can lift off with giant payloads, but also stable enough that it will not shake violently, destroy all the equipment that you have put on board, cost millions of dollars, or worse, injure the human passengers. If your only way of getting to this endpoint was building an actual engine every time you change some small thing about its design, you would get nowhere. Instead, you now simulate thousands of designs, thousands of operating parameters, and do this millions and millions of times. Only then you go and manufacture a design and operate it under the parameters which is most likely to work. This is a very new capability brought to us by the rise of high-performance computing becoming accessible. And this is changing everything about hard-to-build technologies from the nano world all the way to the big-scale light rockets. Uh, now, to tie it all together, several foundational technologies here are past key inflection points in both two things. One is their performance, meaning how well and reliably they work, and access, meaning how many people can use it readily. With that, the deep tech founders today can build the equivalent of really cool apps like the software founders used to do with the democratized internet. All the while, a different set of founders are continuously working on improving the performance and accessibility of the same and more of such foundational platform technologies. That is why you see this surge of deep tech around you, and it's still the beginning. We'll see a lot more of this. And, and so why don't you talk about some of the challenges uh, to building a deep tech company and, and how they uh, may be being ameliorated or, or, or not? There are so many challenges that the deep tech entrepreneurs face today. Uh, it's even, uh, let's get started with the first one, which is that there are just not enough people in the ecosystem. There are not enough deep tech founders, joiners, that network is still niche, it's nascent. Uh, this is an impediment on many levels, which is not apparent to the people who are not in deep tech. 
for example, finding complementary co-founders becomes difficult. Finding strategic advisors who can give you really relevant advice is not easy. Early hires, exceptional talent is hard to find. Role models are very difficult to come by. Deep tech is still a niche. It's a growing one, but it's still a niche compared to the overall tech scene. And when you are building hard to build technologies, you absolutely need a community. This journey is long. It's going to be hard to do it alone. And yet uh, the community is what most deep tech founders lack today. The second is the funding gap. When what you are building will take years to come out, come to fruition, milestones are very ill-defined. Uh, technologies frequently get trapped in the valley of death between when the government funding sources dry up and when you're still not ready for VC. This is, to be fair, changing a bit as some VCs are getting more confident in taking bigger risks with pre-seed level deep tech investments if they see the right team building it. But it is still the exception. The funding gap thing is still very real and it's a risk that needs to be ameliorated further. The third is, I would say, customer development. Uh, the biggest risk to deep tech companies today is building a hammer that look that is in search of a nail, uh, running out of money before that nail is found. Uh, most deep tech entrepreneurs sell B2B, finding a pro problem, validating it, engaging with the stakeholder over very, very long time horizons, building that technology with a keen eye on that final solution and not getting beaten by another possible hammer that emerges uh, from somewhere else. It's like juggling while you're on a tightrope. It's uh, very difficult. Totally. You, you mentioned people and, and it being one of the biggest challenges and not enough people. How, how, how do we fix this? How, how, how does that change over time? Yes, that is the biggest problem in deep tech uh, ecosystem today. And there are several layers to this people problem. Uh, let me go one by one. Um, the most usual deep tech entrepreneur to date, and I say to date because of a specific reason that I will tie back to later, it's someone who has spent several years inside academia as a PhD student or a postdoc building something diligently for many years. Contrary to what you would expect, being an entrepreneur is not the most natural choice to them even in 2021. I knew that because I was inside of academia for a very long time. This is changing, I will say, but not fast enough. Uh, when you are in an academic setting, your biggest and most influential role model is your professor. If your professor is entrepreneurial, well and good. You are, under the right, you are around the right kind of people that push you to take risks and move out of the lab to start commercializing technologies that way. If not, well, too bad. Um, how, many uh, how many professors are entrepreneurial? Not many. Vast swaths of academia today are still submerged in the archaic thinking that if you are a PhD or a postdoc and you do not become a career academic, you have somehow failed. Um, it's a ridiculous notion, but it is still prevalent today. How do we break this? Well, we have to highlight the stories of the people who made this transition and are absolutely killing it on the outside. Uh, it's not like there are a lot of jobs on the inside either. Uh, only about one-fifth of all life sciences PhDs will get tenure-track positions eventually. Um, the more pressing issue here is, I think, of knowing that you can make it as a scientific entrepreneur. And there are many people like you who have done it, are constantly doing it, and you can be one of them. The, the second layer is of people with no explicit deep tech experience, but with the passion to make an impact um, and expertise in building something from scratch and scaling it. Or you have a source of asymmetric knowledge and the personal networks or cloud to build a complementary team here. 
Um, I, as an example, I would uh, mention Ben Kamens. He was a lead engineer at Khan Academy as now the founder of Spring Discovery, a drug discovery company who focused on aging. There are many people like Ben who want to make this jump but are blocked today by the network access or personal cloud that comes with being in certain geographies or certain growth phases of breakout companies. Make it available to them and see how, it, how they hit the ground running. The last is a point I will connect back to the first, which is the deviation from this usual identity of a deep tech entrepreneur. There's a new kind of entrepreneur who is emerging due to two trends colliding. The, one, the first one is online courses. Today, you can learn anything you want to at any pace you want to go as deep as you want to all from the world's best teachers. All the lectures I had access to because I was a PhD student in the university at the age of 23 to 27 is now online. And uh, the expert who taught it is one DM away. A precocious 14 year old somewhere in the world with high bandwidth internet access has already finished my course load and is now discussing it with his equally precocious peers on a Discord or a Slack group. Uh, remember, we discussed how these foundational technologies are becoming more accessible. Some of them are already available for fee-of-service offerings, and more of them will be with time. This is giving rise to a new breed of entrepreneurs who have gotten scary good ahead of their usual time. Um, we aren't set up for this talent to explode onto the scene yet. Uh, this is partly because our expectation of a deep tech expert hasn't kept up with the disruption that MOOCs have already caused. Writing software to operate computers was deep tech in the 1970s. Bill Gates was 20 when he founded Microsoft. Writing programs to interface to the internet with an easily navigable user interface was deep tech in 1990s. Mark Andreessen was 22 when he founded Netscape. A similar revolution in founder identity is brewing in deep tech. Uh, we need to build bridges and institutions to harness this raw talent waiting on the sidelines because our ecosystem is not ready for them. I think this is how we solve the talent problem by building bridges and new institutions for everybody who wants to participate to be able to. Uh, I, I love that. And that's a perfect segue into uh, what we're building with OnDeck Deep Tech. Why don't you um, talk, talk about the vision? The overall vision for OnDeck Deep Tech is that we want to 100x the number of people working on ambitious projects, big problems, developing hard-to-build technology. I think that a large part of our work here will be to build this ecosystem of people. Who are these people? People who want to build, people who want to join the builders, people who want to help the builders, people who, want to, who have the resources, services, or tools that can help and are needed by those who are building these things people who have the capital and want to support these early teams. If you are choosing a journey in deep tech, you will want to start here. This will be your tribe. And it is worth diving into, uh, into the importance of a tribe here. For more mature ecosystems, every individual has sufficient network liquidity. What does that mean? It means that the risk of trying something new is actually low. You can get connected to other people easily. You can seek help easily. You can get intros to other people quickly. And even if you fail, your chances of finding the next new thing is high because a lot of people know you by your efforts and the outcome of an effort is less important in these ecosystems. The deep tech world is a little bit different because the tech stacks are proprietary, people are siloed and conversations are few and far in between. It doesn't have to be that way. And my optimism here is that by building a community around these deep tech people, 
we will reduce the individual risk of trying to build something ambitious. For one of us to succeed at building the robot that performs cataract surgery, or the fully electric autonomous silent flying taxis, or the technology that frees us from fossil fuels, um, the technology that helps us feed 9 billion people in the near future, the technology that prevents the next uh, pandemic, 10 of us will have to dream and to try. So once you have that dream, join us at Evantech Deep Tech Fellowship. This is your tribe. This is for you. Awesome. I think it's a great place to a uh, great place to wrap. Abhijit, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. It's been a great episode. Thanks for having me, Eric. It was a lot of fun. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.